When new civilian federal employees submit a fingerprint as part of their background check, it goes to the FBI's Criminal Justice Information Services Division, or CGIS, for checking it against the National Database of Criminal Fingerprints. But the Bureau also gets nearly 200,000 other fingerprint submissions every day. Automation tools have helped. Gary Stroop is a supervisory program analyst in the Biometric Identification and Analysis Unit of CGIS. He tells Federal News Network's Jory Heckman how this all frees up employee time. When the decision was made to move from D.C. out to facilities in West Virginia, the FBI actually leased out a portion of an old shopping center. Imagine a shopping center near you. If you take out all of the clothing, all the groceries, all the cash registers, and start filling that shopping center up with row after row of file cabinet, and filling those file cabinets up with row after row of fingerprint cards, this process was a very manual process in the beginning. It was a law enforcement officer or whoever would fingerprint somebody manually. They would mail that fingerprint card into the FBI. The FBI would search through all those file cabinets looking for a candidate, for a group of candidates that might match. Then a human examiner would do those comparisons of the ones that were candidates. And when it was all done, they would have to put a report together that would go back out to the contributing uh, agency stating that this person either had no criminal history or here is that litany of charges that this person has had. When we automated, every step of that was able to be automated, at least in some sense. So as the fingerprints were digitized, when the fingerprints came in, there was no need for a human examiner to log those prints anymore, to kind of log it into the system. NGI would go out and look for candidates itself. It would pull those candidates, ones that it thought were possible matches to the submitting fingerprints. The comparisons, like I say, 92 to 95 percent of them are able to be done in an automated fashion. In the past, 100 percent had to be looked at by a human examiner. And even those ones that still require a human examiner, they're a little bit too difficult for the system to do or they have some odd thing, anomaly, that really needs a human examiner to look at them. Even those come straight to a computer screen now with an array of tools that allow the examiner to be more accurate and just do a better job than handling hard copy cards, the old fingerprint cards side by side. And then, of course, when it's all done, the system, the NGI system, will automatically prepare the report and send that back out to the contributing agency. So most of that process that used to be manual, almost all of it is now handled in an automated fashion. Winding back the clock here a little bit, how did the Bureau initially make the case to experiment with this kind of automation, this next generation of technology? Starting now, what were some clear signs that this pilot was really paying off, that it was really being successful? To make the case really wasn't very difficult. We were really being pushed to automate because of the the fact that we had such a backlog. Like I say, sometimes it was nearly a million fingerprint cards waiting in line to get processed. And that backlog caused uh, large delays in our response times. Uh, so it could be months waiting for a response. It, it's tough to wait for months for something like that. So really the use case, uh, trying to sell the idea of automation, wasn't a very difficult thing. It was almost being demanded of us. Uh, as far as success goes, it really plays right back to those two things. As we automated and were able to work off that backlog down to really where we're current now, our response times are down to minutes. Somebody sends in a criminal submission, they get it back generally in five or six minutes. Even the civil background checks are usually done in less than 20 minutes. So working that down, that backlog down, and getting those response times down to where they are now really has been the success that we needed to show. 
What impact has <clears throat> all of this automation, this next generation of automation, had on the Bureau's workforce, particularly in the division that you work in? Our employees are, they're, they're human beings. They, in a run-up to this, as automation was coming, obviously they're going to have some concerns about how is this going to impact me? What's going to happen in my job? Is it still going to be there? So our management took a, a very active role in trying to assure people that we would still have jobs for them. There's, like most federal agencies, we have a lot of work, important work, that doesn't get the attention that it needs to get because we have a lot of work and not as many employees as what we could possibly use. So we had to try and, and show these employees of where that work might be. At the FBI, our employees tend to have really two wants. One is, like all of us, we want a job with a paycheck that is stable. Uh, the other thing, though, is FBI employees want to know the work that they're doing is important, that it adds to the uh, security of the nation, that it makes our civilians more safe. And so we had to show them that the work that, that we would be moving them to or that they would have options to move to was that kind of work, that it was still important work and still work that desperately needed to be done. We had job fairs to kind of show them the different types of work that was available. We had tours. We had temporary duty assignments to allow people to see that kind of work in depth. And during the end, uh, as we slowly spun down our employees from four or 500 doing this type of work down to where today it's less than 100, this was done over, over a series of several years. We didn't just pull the plug all at once. But as we slowly spun that down, there weren't a lot of employees that had to be forced to move into something. They could see the work, they could see it was important, and a lot of them volunteered to go into those other positions. Generally speaking, what kind of work did these employees move into? Generally speaking, there's two sides of the work that we talked about. When you have the National Repository for Criminal Fingerprints and National Repository for Criminal History associated with those fingerprints, the automation of the fingerprint side really spun down the number of employees needed, but we had a lot of backlogs on that other side, the criminal history, of keeping that criminal history updated. A lot of that work out in the state's level is still done at a, a hard copy uh, level. It's all done on paper. So a lot of that has not been automated as of yet. That's something that we're still working to do. So we were able to move those employees over to helping to update that criminal history because that really is the important side of it. If you identify someone using the fingerprints, what they want, what a, a, a law enforcement officer or a civilian agency, what they're really looking for is what is that criminal history behind it. If it's not up to date, then you're really not giving them a complete criminal history. So some of the backlogs on that, we're able to move people into that and get them working on that. And there are other things as well, but that was a main part of it. All right. And how has digitizing the Bureau's repository of all these fingerprints and automating it in this fashion, how has that improved efficiency? Digitizing the fingerprints was really the main piece. Like I say, there's two different parts of that. There's the repository itself, and then there's all the incomings. Those 180,000 fingerprint submissions a day come into the FBI. Many of those add to the repository. So working on the one side of making it so that our contributing agencies could digitize the fingerprints as they came in. That was one half of it, and that made it so that the systems, the IFA system and NGI system, would not be able to function without those being in an electronic format, a digitized format. And the other side of it was moving from hard copy those fingerprints into file cabinets to a digitized manner. That was all key, all pivotal into being able to automate the rest of those processes. Last question I have for you, Gary, but now that the FBI you know, no longer needs that mall, I guess, in West Virginia, how has the Bureau saved on, on maintenance costs? 
Well, Jerry, I don't know exact numbers as far as uh, dollars saved on that, but I can absolutely tell you there are a lot of winners in this whole process. Our contributing agencies, our law enforcement partners and civil partners, they were winners in that the response times went from months to days to now it's just minutes. The FBI was a winner in this and that we do save on those costs. We no longer lease that space. Everything is internal. We were able to free up hundreds of employees from doing that fingerprint type of work into other vital work that needed to be done. The employees themselves were winners and that many of them were able to move into new and interesting opportunities. Uh, as it turns out that after spending sometimes decades looking at squiggly little fingerprint lines that, that sometimes some people were interested in, in going to do something else. Really, the only one that wasn't a winner in this entire process was the guy that owns that mall. He'll have to find somebody else to lease that property. Gary Stroop is a supervisory management and program analyst in the FBI's Biometric Identification and Analysis Unit of CGIS. Speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.